Good morning, family. How are you today? Good. Thanks, Kate. Good to see you, girl. Glad you all are with us this morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. And if this is your first time to join us, welcome. And special welcome to those joining us at home or online. We are just glad to be together today. We're in a series called A Time to Build, looking at God's call on our church as well as us individually. And part of what we're doing is we're taking a dedicated season to pray and fast for God's presence and work in our lives, in the lives of our families, city, and world. By the way, how many of you would like for God to interact and bless you and your family over these next few weeks? Anyone in here want that? So it's a great time to pray, isn't it? And by the way, one of the best gifts you can give someone else is to pray for them. So what I want to do is ask you to go ahead and pick up the two cards that were on your seat. You should have two orange cards. Go ahead and grab them. Let me explain what we're doing. Each week we are going to have a specific prayer focus during the month of August. And out in the lobby right now there are a bunch of prayers from this past week. In fact, my favorite one, would you put this up? My favorite card is from my buddy Trey. He didn't just put like a name of someone to pray for. I mean, he said, I want to pray for my daddy and mommy but I love this, and all the people. And then, I love this, he drew a picture for us. Isn't that great? And you just need to know, everyone that puts a card out there, those cards are being prayed for multiple times throughout the week by many people. I want to ask you, and this will take very little effort on your part, but it will be a great blessing. Will you please participate today? Don't, Don't just walk by, don't just leave. If you do nothing else today, commit to pray for someone and let us know so we can pray with you in agreement. Now, this week's focus, we are praying for our education system. Why? Well, for a couple reasons. Number one, school starts for most of our folks this week. Now, some in here called parents are going, yay, God, all right. And then the rest of us are going, oh no, it's all over. We're going back to school. And so we want to pray today. In fact, the reason we're praying is because What is taught today will determine the future of tomorrow, won't it? We want to pray for our educators, our teachers, our administrators, because they have the job and the task of communicating truth, and they do so many of them in a very difficult environment, both with curriculum that does not promote godly values or truth, and often under certain legal restrictions that keep them from communicating the truth. Now, many of you uh, work uh, in the school system, some in public, private, others homeschool. But this is a very important thing, and as a church, we want to lift it up before God. So on the back of the card, I want you sometime over the next 30 minutes to write down the name of a person, a place. Perhaps it's a school where your kids or some other kids go, or an issue, a situation that you'd like to lift up. You put that on there. We've given you two cards, so you can take one home with you, and you can post the other one on the board so we can pray in agreement with you. Now, since today we are praying over, and this week praying over our school system, I'm going to ask if you are a teacher, an administrator, uh, if you work in the school system in any capacity, would you allow us to pray over you? And we'd kind of like to acknowledge you. Would you just stand up if you work in the school system, public, private, or homeschool? Go ahead and stand up, and, uh, and we're going to pray over you. By the way, can we just show some love to our brothers and sisters who are going into it this week? Stay standing, if you will, and let's all bow and pray for our brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for the men and women 
before us today as well as the hundreds throughout our city who are preparing to go back and to teach. Father, we pray for their boldness. We pray for wisdom to know what the right thing is to say, do, and think. And then the boldness and courage from the Holy Spirit to do it. We pray for encouragers to come alongside them throughout the school year, both outside of the school and inside. Father, it is so easy, it is so easy to contribute to a critical culture, to always find the bad, to find the wrong, to complain and to say what shouldn't happen. But Lord, for people to be surrounded by encouragers, what a gift will you bring them alongside. And Father, we pray that you would prevent wicked curriculum that diminishes what is true and questions the truth of Scripture from ever being presented to our students. We pray for the courageous leaders in our administration and our superintendent and those who have responsibility. May they do what is just and right because what they teach our children today will impact our children tomorrow. We pray that your kingdom will come and your will be done in every school in this city for the good of our kids, the blessing of this nation, and the glory of your name. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And all those who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Well, as I mentioned, we are in a series called A Time to Build. And I want to begin this morning with some of the most inspiring words I have ever heard. They came from our former president, Teddy Roosevelt, sometime after the scars and the challenges of present being the president. And he said these words in a speech at the Sorbonne, and this is what he said. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deed, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Man, I love those words. I love this idea The reality that we have been called into something and that our job as the followers of Jesus is to step into the arena. And I am so blessed to know so many of you fearless warriors who have taken up the call of Christ and are actively engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ. It is not the critic who counts. And of all the heroes in human history, the one who stands above the rest is no mere mortal. His name is Jesus Christ. And he faced the arena of blood, sweat, and tears. He faced the enemy head on. He faced down critics, both religious and irreligious. His own family thought that he was insane. 
On the night that he was arrested, all who had promised to stay near him fled. One of his best friends denies him, and another, who he had poured three years of time into, literally sold Jesus out for a little bit of money. Jesus knows what it's like to face critics, doesn't he? In fact, that word arena is an interesting word. It comes from a Latin word, harina, which is a finely ground sand that they would use to cover the arena floor because the sand was good at absorbing blood. And so they would put it across the arena as it would then take the blood of the Christians being killed in this place of combat. Here's what you need to know before we go any further, friends. There is a myth in the Christian world today that is poison to our soul. And here is the myth. If you follow Jesus, everything is easy. If you follow Jesus, you will have friends, you'll influence people, you will have health, wealth, and prosperity, and there is no cost to yourself. In fact, for a mere three easy payments of $19.95, you can have it all at no cost to yourself. And what we have now is an anemic church culture around this world that assumes that if you face opposition, you must be doing something wrong instead of recognizing that to follow Jesus Christ means you will face opposition in this world. You will be the minority and you will be criticized. But guess what? You are in great company. God himself faced the same criticism. And so today, as we go into this, what I want you to know and what I want us to embrace as followers before we talk any more about taking the land or time to build is the reality of opposition. And that as those who follow Christ, we must expect opposition if we are to be affected. Because the reality is many of us assume something must be wrong. But here's what we see. When the world gets hard... What you have on the inside becomes much more important. As pressure mounts, the Spirit of the living God is the only strength able to compensate and overcome the opposition. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? And so today, I just want to talk to you about expecting opposition because this is what Nehemiah and the crew rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem experience. Now, quick note, if you are a Bible student, there is a Bible study rule that you need to know. It is called the law of proportions. The law of proportions. Here's how it goes. When you are studying the Bible, the law of proportions shows us that generally speaking, the more important a topic or issue is, the more time and space scripture will give to that topic. So, for instance, when we saw the heartbrokenness of Nehemiah in chapter 1 that started everything, do you want to know how many verses the Bible dedicates to Nehemiah's broken heart? One verse. When we hear the prayer of Nehemiah asking God to intervene in his situation in chapter 1, we're given six verses. When Nehemiah begins to prepare and plan before the king, we only get eight verses. And then when he is preparing, examining the wall, getting the supplies, moving out, we get 11 verses. But do you want to know how many verses are dedicated to the reality of opposition? We get three chapters. Chapter 4, 5, and 6. And what you need to know is the critics, they're out there. The opposition, it is out there. And there are three main ways that we will see them 
to, uh, uh, to provide opposition. In chapter 4, you will see that opposition comes as discouragement. In chapter 5, it comes as division. And in chapter 6, it comes as distractions. Now, if you have time this week, read chapter 5 and 6. We won't have time to go through them today. But what you need to know, in chapter 5, the Israelites are divided. There is sin in the camp, and it has to be addressed. In chapter 6, there is this distraction. The enemies of Israel think, well, we can't divide them, and we can't discourage them, so we'll simply get them focused on a secondary matter. And by the way, you just need to know that if you take the bait of distraction, what do you think the enemy will continue to throw your way? Distraction. In other words, expect opposition, and it'll come in these three ways. Now, I want to introduce you to some of the opponents you may meet along the way as you step into what God is calling you, as you enter the arena. Although the critics don't count, they still show up, don't they? So let me introduce you to the first one. His name is Sandballot. Everybody say Sandballot. I love that name. Sandballot shows up in chapter 2 and again in chapter 4 and in chapter 6 and then in chapter 13. Want to know the rule there, friends? Haters keep coming. They don't go away. This is what we hear about Sanballat. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Why? Well, here's what you need to know about Sanballat. Sanballat was a Persian official. He had some capacity in the kingdom of Persia. At some point in the past, Babylon had come in and destroyed and defeated Israel, exiling the Israelites, taking them out of Jerusalem. Sometime later, the Persian nation defeats Babylon, and Sanballat goes to Jerusalem. He goes, hey, this is kind of cool. This will be my own little hometown stomping ground. I'll be in charge. But now he's hearing that the Israelites are coming back. And what is he about to lose? His power, his position, his place, and he doesn't like it. So what does he do? He steps up and begins to criticize. In fact, he ridicules the Jews. He doesn't just call a few names. He gets very personal. Friends, write this down. When you face opposition, expect certain attacks. Here are a few of them. With his associates and the army of Samaria, Sanballat says this. He goes, what are those, say these two words with me, feeble feeble Jews doing? What's the first attack? Your age. A lot of the men and women who were back serving were old. They were in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and older. And he's saying, you are too old to do what you think you need to do. Friends, one of the opposition statements will be, you're either too old or too young. It's not the right life stage. You're too busy. You do not have it at the perfect time to get done what you believe you need to do. The first attack that you need to expect is an attack on your life stage. He goes on, though. He says, will they restore their walls? In other words, come on, come on, come on. Have you seen yourselves? You don't have what it takes. You don't have the commitment to go the distance. So it's now an attack on commitment. Then the third one that he comes, he says, will they offer sacrifice? In other words, you're too weak to do this. The only way you will accomplish this task is if you get on your hands and knees and pray to the God of wall builders. That's your best luck. Either that or you call Chip and Joanna Gaines, and that's about it. So he begins to question there, 
weakness. And then he says, will they finish it in a day? In other words, have they even thought this out? They think they're going to accomplish this great feat quickly after years of rubble? There's no way. And then finally, finally, before I show you this one, this is the one that so many of you, you need here this morning. If, if you're in the moment where you're considering what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you have not decided officially and you're kind of wondering. You need to know this is going to be the attack you will face. If you are trying to renew and rebuild your marriage after broken hearts and broken promises, this is the one you need to be aware of that you're going to face. When you are dealing with issues with your children and there's just a history and a pattern and there's problems, this is the one you need to know you will face. And here it is. Are you ready? Expect to hear this one. Can they bring the stones back to life? From these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? In other words, don't you remember you already lost once? You've been living in disgrace for years, in brokenness, in ruin. There is nothing you can do. The past is too big for your present or for your future. Listen up, friends. This may be the one thing you need to hear this morning. You need to know there is nothing in your past bigger than the grace of Jesus Christ. The rubble of your past is the building stones on which Christ himself will create beautiful new buildings of his glory and his honor. He never once used a perfect person. He has only ever worked with broken people and brought about beauty out of brokenness. Is that good news this morning to anyone? And you just need to know that when you face opposition, it will come to call your past to account and say, you are not good enough. And let me tell you something, friend, you are not. Neither am I. But Jesus Christ is. And this is the promise. Now, I want you to see what else happens. He's not alone in his opposition. By the way, when you face critics, they rarely come alone. They're like hyenas. They always travel in packs, don't they? And they don't always reveal their face. Rather, they just kind of allude to themselves. So there's this other guy who shows up. His name is Tobiah the Ammonite. Tobiah. Notice this. It says, who was at his side. Tobiah is literally his sidekick. How many of you remember that, that really difficult season of life? In fact, maybe the greatest level of persecution ever in the course of life. It's, it's called middle school. Anyone remember middle school? Ugh. There's always that one kid in every middle school who was the bully, right? You know the guy I'm talking about. He was at least three or four feet taller than everyone else, had facial hair, had some weird tattoo on his arm or birthmark that he called a tattoo. Hello. And this is the guy that you know he always was scary, mean, and bad. It was either because he was just bigger, because he went through some sort of growth spurt at two years old, or because he was held back for 15 years. But no one wanted to be near this guy. You know who I'm talking about? And if you don't, then I'm looking at you. And so, but every bully always has a sidekick, doesn't he? You always have that little posse, that group that runs with him. This is the guy. I notice his cut down. I love this. This is just so childish. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said... What are they building? You can almost see him like pulling on Sam Ballot's arm sleeve like, Hey, Sam Ballot, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stone. And you can almost imagine everyone's high-fiving going, Great, cut down, good job. Here's what you need to know. Critics travel together. 
Expect opposition, friends. And the more you pursue God's will in your life, the bigger the vision, the more opposition you will face. In fact, they're not alone. Notice this in verse 7. But when Sanballat, there's one, Tobiah, that's two. The Arabs are now introduced, Ammonite, Tobiah, the Ammonites, and then the people of Ashdod, there's four, heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. Now, here's what you need to know, a little geography lesson here. This is the city of Jerusalem. We looked at it last week. Those are the walls that are being rebuilt. Now, here's what you need to know. Sanballat, he's a Persian. He comes from the north. Tobiah, he's an Ammonite. He comes from the east. You have the Arabs in the south, and finally the Ashdodites. Those are the Philistines. They are in the west. Quick question. From what angle or direction is the opposition coming, church? Everywhere. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. You need to expect that there will be opposition from places you don't expect. In fact, it's not just outside where the opposition occurs. Notice these two verses in verse 10 and then 12. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers, the workers, is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the walls. Do you hear the despair in the voice of those who are working? Less than one chapter after saying, we can do this, they're saying, we can't do this. It is too hard. How many of us know that some of the greatest opposition comes from the thoughts in our own heads? Recognizing the gravity of the situation in front of us, our inability to overcome what is happening. You need to recognize when the enemy's voice begins to whisper and chirp in your mind what is going on there. There is external opposition. There is internal opposition. And there's a third kind that hits us as well. Notice this. Then the Jews who lived near them came. Came. Now, why did they come if they were already serving and working and partnering? Oh. Is it possible that some of the critics you may face are people who should be on your side but are just watching and criticizing? The Jews who were living nearby show up not to support but to throw in their concern and they say this ten times over, wherever you turn, they'll attack us. Wherever you turn, we're all going to be hit for it. There is criticism on the outside. There's critics on the inside. In fact, here's what you need to see. When you step into the arena, although the critics don't matter, they will show up everywhere. Now, this is not to depress anyone this morning, but rather you need to understand the reality that life is not easy. Opposition is not optional. Following Jesus, entering into the arena of life means you will face problems. If God himself had opponents, do you think us mere mortals will as well? Three of you think so. We're going to start over. I just need you to know, friends, 
A lot of times the greatest heartache in life isn't from the reality of life, but it is unmet expectations. You assume it's going to be one way when in reality it's another. But hear me now, if we do not see how truly difficult life is, you will never recognize how good and powerful God is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not good news if everything is easy and good. The good news of the gospel That God saves sinners, that God redeems the broken, that God heals the hurting, that God rebuilds the lives that have been torn apart by sin and selfishness. The reason that is good news is only when you recognize how bad and hard life is without God. And so today, I just need you to hear me. Before we look at the response, I'm going to give you the response. It's going to be a great response, the way to deal with this, but you just need to know. That if you're expecting an easy life, you have shown up in the wrong universe because there's nothing easy about it. But the good news is that when you step into the arena, the God who rose from the dead is already there with you. And he is one He has defeated the enemy. Yes, you will be bloodied. You will be scarred. You will face disappointment. You will have heartbroken nights of tears. But you need to know that God has already won. And that is the good news. So are you ready for some good news now and how to respond? Anyone want the good news to respond? Here we go. Ready? I want to show you what not to do first. This is so important because sometimes, sometimes when the opposition is strong, our desire... To get through it leads us to a bad decision. And here's one of the bad things we can do. Don't do this. Don't do this. I want you to notice what Nehemiah does not do. Nehemiah does not respond to mocking with additional mocking. He doesn't hurl insults because he's been insulted. He doesn't go, woe is me. He also does not change course. He continues to fulfill the purpose of which God has given him breath in his lungs. In fact, how many of us, don't, don't, don't read it yet, but if we were to look at verse 4, after the first initial response from Sanballat, how many of us would have been surprised if you read and heard this? How many of us would have said, yes, this is what I expect? And Nehemiah, for, just pretend you read it, and this is what it says. And Nehemiah, giving them the finger, began yelling back at them some colorful yo mama jokes. How many of us would be surprised if that's what we read, the response? It's a quick question. How many of us, though, are not surprised when we hear that's the response of Christ's followers to opposition? We have been bought by Jesus Christ. We have been raised to live a new kind of life as new creations, which means that we do not get down in the dirt when others are in the dirt because all that ends up is everyone's dirty. We live the way Christ lived. You say, okay, how do I do this? Just try harder? Not at all. Here we go. Three responses that we see from the text. Number one, prepare while you pray. When, not if, but when you face opposition, whether it's with your children, your spouse, your job, your neighborhood, the struggle of sin in your life, whenever you face opposition, prepare while you pray. This is what we see the Israelites doing. Notice this. It says in verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I love this. See, this answer guards us against over-spiritualizing things or under-spiritualizing things. 
To over-spiritualize is to say you pray and then you just sit. To under-spiritualize is to say, well, you've got to work hard, you've just got to get it done, but you don't pray. And that is not what we see in Scripture. Throughout the narrative of the Scriptures, you see those who follow God ruthlessly committed to prayer. If God doesn't, it won't work. And committed to partnering with God in their activities. He is calling us to active participation. The first thing you and I can do is to pray to God. It is our first response. It's not our last resort. And then we partner with God. Notice, they grab up bows, shields, spears, and arrows. They go prepared, working with one hand, carrying preparation in the other. Friend, when you face opposition, pray while you prepare. What do you need to do before having that conversation with your child? What prayers need prayed? What preparation? When you enter that difficult business meeting, when you enter into that space with your neighbor or friend that you're so desperate they know Christ, what do you do in those situations? You pray as you prepare. You step in as you enter in. Number two, I want you to see this. They prayed and they prepared. And number two, remember what is at stake. Remember what is at stake. I love this. How many of you, Just show of hands, how many of you uh, like what we might call guy movies? Explosions, a lot of screaming, ah, people dying. Anyone else in here? You liars, come on. Okay, well, for the rest of us, I had a conversation a few weeks ago with some guys. Like, what is your favorite dude movie? And here's the one that I heard often. Braveheart. Anyone else? I've seen the TV version, okay? Let's just kind of go there. But Braveheart. There's this great speech near the end, right? They may take our lives, but they will never take our... See, you do like dude movies. Now, here's the great thing. There's a moment in the text. If you like those moments, there's a moment we're about to read. This is the moment. It's the Braveheart moment. Are you ready? By the way, this is why you need to read the Bible. There's so many good things in it. But here's what happens. In verse 13 and 14, after they get prepared as they prayed, Nehemiah wisely says, remember what is at stake. Look at this. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. There are exposed places in your life. That's where you need to guard up against them. You need to prepare as you pray. Posting them, notice this, by families. With their swords, spears, and bows. Interestingly enough, every day you went out to rebuild the wall, your wife, kids, and neighbors were there as a reminder of what was at stake if you did not. Friends, what's at stake if you don't? What's at stake if you give up or give in or back down or change course because it's difficult? Who will lose because of that? In fact, notice what he says now. Here, he said, Braveheart speech. Come on, Diggs, where's that? Here it is. Are you ready? After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, here we go, in his great brave heart accent, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Why? Because he is the one who gives victory, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Some of us need to know what is at stake if you don't fight. The arena of life is not life on earth, and that's it. The arena of life today echoes through eternity. And what you do today matters, friends. 
And there will be moments of blood, sweat, and tears, but it is worth it. Your wife is worth it, men. Your children are worth it. Your neighbor's eternity is worth it. And the critics and the chirping voices of a few people who do not have the same vision is not worth it. The critics don't matter. Anyone else in here agree with that today? So so, 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 so let's just talk for a moment here. The reason I don't speak up is because I am more concerned with a conversation and how it makes me feel afterward than the ultimate goal. Some of us, friends, some of us, some of us, if you know there's conflict, if you know and expect some of it, then you will see the beauty of what's on the other side of that conversation and what God might do through you in that moment. And it will give you the the oomph to say, I will step into it. Listen to me, listen to this. Your family, your family, aren't they worth it to you? Come on, come on. Your kids, the next generation, aren't they worth it to you to do what you need to do, friend? Let me tell you, life's too short. Heaven is too grand. Hell is too hot. And eternity is too long to forget what is at stake. The critics don't matter. You prepare while you pray. You remember what's at stake. And finally, keep building. Keep building. Keep building. By the way, discouragement, boy, sometimes you just want to sit down and cry or you want to just stop. And it's okay to pause, but then get up and rebuild. There, there's some days that there's division. You've got to deal with the division. You've got to deal with sin. You've got to deal with those issues. But, but then keep rebuilding. There's some days the distractions just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. It's so tempting to just focus on those. Keep building. This is what they say in verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot because they were, they were wise that this is a battle, that life is not easy, when we heard and were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it because it's not you, it's not me, it's God, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. What is God calling you to do? What is your work? What is your part of the wall that if you don't build it, it's not getting built? Expect opposition. And then anticipate Christ's presence in that place. See, everything we're talking about this morning, it's not ultimately about a man named Nehemiah. You understand that, right? The only reason this matters is not because Nehemiah or the Israelites, it's because Nehemiah is simply reflecting what our Savior Jesus did while he was on earth. He prepared while he prayed. The night before he selected his 12 apostles, he spent it in prayer. Why? Theologians agree that he was laboring in prayer as he prepared for who to bring into his inner circle. He prepared while he prayed. He did not forget what he was fighting for, did he? Jesus Christ, did he forget why he was fighting church? No. He knew what was at stake. And have you ever considered what would have been lost if he had let the critics' words dictate his actions? What if he had listened to the religious leaders? What if he had listened to the irreligious? What if he had allowed the words of his family who questioned his divinity to keep him from what, doing what he knew he was called to do? You and I would be lost for eternity. He knew it was at stake. 
And in fact, not only did he not let the critics determine what he did, he was not distracted by them, and he did not, get this, he did not even chase after them. Uh, interesting story. How many of you are familiar with the story of the rich young ruler? Anyone know that one? How many of you remember it from childhood with the flannel board? Anyone remember, a, anyone remember flannel boards in general? A, anyone at all? You're my people. Some of you are going, what's a flannel board? It's a board with flannel and cut out characters that you put on there and, you know, you kind of see the Bible characters. It's great, it's great. So there's a story of Jesus with a rich young ruler. Why is he called that? Because he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. Okay. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, you know what to do. And they have this great conversation. And finally, Jesus lays down the big question. He says, hey, listen, listen, listen. If you want to follow me, you sell all you have. Because for this guy, he had a lot of money, and that was the thing holding him back. For some of us, it's different things. But that was his. He says, you sell it all, you sell it all, and you follow me. And the man, we're told, with face downcast, turned around and walked away. And then the next verse is the shocking verse. Are you ready? Because when I read the scriptures and I think about who Jesus is, do you know what I expect to see in the next verse? I expect to read, and Jesus chased after him. But he doesn't. The call is for us to follow him. It is not for him to follow us. And when you and I step into the arena, the voices that you hear do not matter. You know the one voice that does? It's the one that says, you come with me. You take what you need. I'll take it with you. Let's go. We're going to face it together. But it's time. So as you and I step into it this week, friends, I want you to know we pray for you every, every week as a staff and leadership. And as you step into the arena this week, I'm inviting you, please, expect the opposition. And anticipate that Jesus will already be there waiting for you.